the phantom slowly, gravely, silently approached. When it came near him, Scrooge bent down upon his knee, for in the very air through which this spirit moved, it seemed to scatter gloom and mystery. It was shrouded in a deep black garment with, which concealed its head, its face, its form, and left nothing of it visible save one outstretched hand. But for this, it would have been difficult to detach its figure from the night and separate it from the darkness by which it was surrounded. He felt that it was tall and stately when it came beside him and that its mysterious presence filled him with a solemn dread. He knew no more, for the spirit neither spoke nor moved. So begins uh, the crucial chapter of Charles Dickens' A Christmas Carol, uh, Scrooge's encounter with the ghost of Christmas yet to come. Uh, during which he has the change of heart uh, that his soul so desperately needs because at its heart, A Christmas Carol is about the possibility of change and redemption, which is our subject for today. This is the third and final week of our Advent sermon series, The Spirit of Christmas. So far, we've talked about the spirit of Christmas past and how uh, while our, our past shapes who we are, of course, it does not have to define us. And we talked about the spirit of Christmas present uh, and how our faith in Christ promises us that all will be well, even if it is not well for us presently. If you missed either of those sermons and you want to get caught up, you can check them out on our website or on our podcasts. Today, we're talking about the central message of Dickens' Christmas masterpiece, or rather the central, the central questions. Can people change? Is it possible for human beings to become better people, and if so, how? In the, in the yet to come, what power does God have to transform us? A couple of weeks ago, I mentioned um, the most recent adaptation of A Christmas Carol, Apple TV's film Spirited, which came out last year. My family uh, loves this version of the story so much so that it was the first Christmas movie that we watched this year. Uh, Spirited is both uh, a retelling of the original story and a satire of some of its adaptations. It's a musical comedy, and the musical numbers are fantastic if you like musicals. Uh, it's worth your time if you've not seen it. So in Spirited, uh, Will Ferrell plays the ghost of Christmas present, and the premise of this particular version of the story is that every, every year, a team of spirits in the afterlife, led by good old Jacob Marley, who's there in front in the top hat, identify uh, one terrible human being to try to redeem. And they spend all year researching this perp, as they call them, assembling the scenes from their lives needed to follow the, the pattern originated by Ebenezer Scrooge. Now this year's perp is a cynical, heartless media consultant with no scruples or principles, played by Ryan Reynolds there on the left. Um, Marley is opposed to choosing him, so the story goes, because he is, in Marley's opinion, unredeemable. But the ghost of Christmas present does not believe that anyone is unredeemable. He believes that it is possible for even the hardest cases to change. Now, I'm not gonna spoil the ending for you, just in case you wanna see it and haven't. It. It's a good ending. But what I love about Spirited is that it, it really does perfectly capture the central questions of Dickens' masterpiece. Can people change? 
Is it possible for human beings to become better people? If so, how? And in the yet to come, what power does God have to transform us? Now, obviously, our faith has um, something to say about that, and so does our scripture for today. I'm going to read it, part of it now. It's from the uh, Gospel of John, the first chapter. I'm going to read verses 6 through 8, and then uh, 19 through 22, and we'll come back and read the rest later. Listen, friends, for the word of God, as it is proclaimed by God's servant, the evangelist John. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify to the light so that all might believe through him. He himself was not the light, but he came to testify to the light. This is the testimony given by John when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? He confessed and did not deny it, but confessed, I am not the Messiah. And they asked him, what then, are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? He answered, no. Then they said to him, who are you? Let us have an answer for those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So during the season of Advent, our, um, our minds are naturally on Christmas, and you know, I'm gonna level with you, my mind's on Christmas year-round, but especially during, during Advent, it's even in the title of our Advent sermon series, Christmas, and so it's easy to assume um, that the whole purpose of Advent is to be a season of preparation for Christmas, specifically that holiday. But as it turns out, in the history of the church, in the history of the season of Advent, which has been around a long, long time, that's only, that's only partially true. Uh, the name Advent, uh, derives from a Latin word which means uh, coming or arrival, but the, the coming of the anniversary of the birth of Christ, while obviously an essential part of the season, is one of only uh, three arrivals, historically speaking, that we are expected to proclaim during this season. In the, in the recommended readings for every year, in the theology of Advent throughout our history, there are actually two more comings of Christ, arrivals of Christ that we are called to remember this time of year. Um, in addition to preparing for his birth, we're called to remember that Christ will come again someday in glory. Uh, we proclaim this every week in the Apostles' Creed when we say that, that Christ sits at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty, and that from thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. Every week we say it. Part of Advent is remembering that Christ will return someday. Um, although admittedly, we Methodists don't focus all that much on that part of our theology. Uh, I personally am much more a, a Easter and Christmas kind of guy than I am an end of time and final judgment kind of guy. And I'm totally good with that. But first, Christ came to us at Christmas. Christ will come again in glory. Both these things, both these truths of our faith are important parts of the season of Advent. But it's actually the middle coming or arrival that we are also called to remember at Advent, and that is actually the most relevant part of Advent to the story of Ebenezer Scrooge. I'm talking about the, the daily arrival, the daily presence of Christ for everyone who's put their faith in him. As the Apostle Paul says in his letter to the, to the Galatians, it is no longer I who live, but it is Christ who lives in me. That's one of the great truths of our faith. And that means that, that this morning, when every one of us as followers of Jesus uh, woke up, Jesus woke up with us by the power of the Holy Spirit. And this 
this daily presence of Christ within us is uh, important enough that every year during Advent, we are encouraged to read the story of the prophet who was sent by God to prepare the way for him. My first call in the church, my first job in the church was in youth ministry, and I'll always remember something that I read from an expert in that field, youth ministry. She said that, um, that too many youth pastors try to be like Jesus for their kids. They think, they think that's their main job because they think that um, being like Jesus is the way to draw kids to Jesus. And so they, they try to be fun, they try to be hip, they try to be relatable, they try to be edgy sometimes and kind and loving and sincere, thinking that if kids identify with them, then they'll relate to the church, which of course is the body of Christ in the world, and so they'll love Jesus too. They're, they're convinced that if they can be like Jesus, they can draw kids to Jesus. The problem with that model is that when kids grow up and they inevitably move away, they lose touch with their youth pastor whom they so closely relate to Jesus. And when they lose touch with the person they most closely relate to Jesus, they sometimes drift away from the faith. And, and sometimes, uh, sometimes now they, they don't come back. And so she said, instead of, instead of being like Jesus, what youth pastors really need to do is be like John the Baptist. And in my opinion, that goes for every, every pastor, not just youth pastors. And in fact, I think that goes for all of us as followers of Christ, because John the Baptist did one thing. <laughs> he had one job, and that was to, to point people to Jesus. In this icon, that's John the Baptist on the right, and in the classic iconography of the church, almost all the time, John is pointing. Don't follow me, John the Baptist says. I'm not the guy. <laughs> follow him, the one in the middle. According to the evangelist John, he came as um, a witness to testify to the light. And what we know is that that light has not only the power to change the world, but has the power to change us all. Because when we follow Jesus, and, and I mean both follow his teachings and example, which we're called to do, and put our faith in him as the Messiah, the savior of the world, when we do that, then our lives are transformed. And, and we become better than we otherwise would be. And sometimes this happens more slowly, sometimes it happens more quickly, but transformation is what happens with faith. We have purpose for today, we have assurance for eternity, and that makes all the difference. And it's that transformation that we experience um, because of our faith that is every bit as much a part of Advent as our preparations for his birth. Now, if you've read the book or if you've seen really any adaptation of the story, you know that Scrooge's ghost of Christmas yet to come is an intense one. <laughs> I saw a graphic <laughs> this week when I was researching and it was the Smurf version of the story. <laughs> and even the Christmas yet to come in the Smurf story looks scary. So I decided to go with, with this one, not to scare the kids today. But this part of the story is full of, of darkness and, and grief because what Scrooge learns is that the Cratchits 
are gonna mourn the death of their beloved Tiny Tim. And he's gonna learn that he himself will die alone and unmourned. And he's gonna, he learns that his death will actually be a blessing to some people. And, and he sees that his office, which was really the only thing he cared about, it was the sole source of satisfaction in his life, after he dies, his office is just gonna pass into other hands. <laughs> and so their time together famously ends in a graveyard before Scrooge's own future grave and the ghost is pointing to the headstone and, and Dickens writes this, he says, before I draw nearer to that stone to which you point, said Scrooge, answer me one question. Are these the shadows of the things that will be or are they the shadows of the things that may be only? Men's courses will foreshadow certain ends to which if persevered in they must lead, said Scrooge, but if the courses be departed from, the ends will change. Say that it is thus with what you show me. It's the core question that Dickens is asking. Is it possible to change when there's something within us that needs to change? Can we, by the power of Jesus Christ, who we know dwells within us and who we are called to remind ourselves of that truth every Advent, can we change course when need be? I mean, of course, we know the answer to that. But let's go ahead and finish the reading. John the Baptist said, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. Now they, the people challenging him, had been sent from the Pharisees. They asked him, why then are you baptizing if you are neither the Messiah, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? And John answered them, look, I baptize with water. Among you stands one whom you do not know, the one who is coming after me. I am not worthy to untie the thong of his sandal. Do not follow me, follow him. This took place in Bethany across the Jordan where John was baptizing. Transformation for Christians is the product of our faith in the one whose coming John the Baptist was sent to proclaim. It's interesting. Uh, when Dickens wrote A Christmas Carol, he, he had a, a much more practical goal in mind. Uh, he had no intention, no thought of producing this enduring masterpiece that would contribute so much to Western culture. He had originally planned to write a short pamphlet called An Appeal to the People of England on Behalf of the Poor Man's Child. <laughs> Not quite the same ring as A Christmas Carol but it was an important project for him because he, he wanted to raise awareness of the issues of oppressive child labor and child exploitation, both of which were rampant in industrialized England. Now Dickens was a man of faith and, and he knew that Jesus had taught his disciples to care for children. Jesus had taught his disciples to meet the needs of the poor. And Dickens' project, what he wanted to do with this pamphlet, was to remind people of that. But, I mean, the way I would put it, he was inspired by the Holy Spirit to take a different approach. <laughs> because preachy pamphlets are sometimes more or less effective. Instead, what he did was... Uh, to raise awareness through the story of an aging miser 
whose greed and insensitivity would be challenged from beyond the grave. And when you know that, and when you read A Christmas Carol, you can see it on the lips of these ghosts who have come to help Scrooge be a better person. Now, somewhat ironically, in Victorian England, people referred to A Christmas Carol as a new gospel. And Dickens was like, no, (laughs) no, this is the original gospel. (laughs) This is the gospel. And the result was a story that's resonated now for almost 200 years and been adapted over and over again and sometimes even included in musical form since then. A story about the power of our Christmas faith to transform, to redeem, to change us for the better. Now the whole point of Advent is to be a season of spiritual uh, preparation. It's a time to reflect on who we are in Christ. It's a time to reflect on how we're doing in our discipleship. It's a time to to remind ourselves of who God wants us to be as Christians. Maybe there's something in your life, maybe now, or in your spirit, or in your relationships that, that needs attention. Maybe there's something that needs to change. Maybe, maybe there's something with you right now that's just not quite as it should be. If that's the case, this is the perfect season to turn to the one who dwells within us all. You know how Dickens' classic story ends. The ghosts do their job well. The, the miserable, old, greedy, unkind, unlovable man has a transformation of heart and soul, a transformation that I believe is only possible by the power of Jesus Christ working in our lives. Scrooge was better than his word. To Tiny Tim, who did not die, he was a second father He became as good a friend, as good a master, and as good a man as the good old city knew or any other good old city, town, or borough in the good old world. Some people laughed to see the alteration in him, but he let them laugh and little heeded them, for he was wise enough to know that nothing ever happened on this globe for good at which some people did not have their fill of laughter at the outset. And knowing that such as these would be blind anyway, He thought it quite as well that they should wrinkle up their eyes in grins and have the malady in less attractive forms. His own heart laughed. And that was quite enough for him. As Tiny Tim observed, God bless us, everyone. Amen.